tonight's episode of Eureka Cast. Now, it's Creepy Crawly Week, and to celebrate, we've decided to, for the first time on air, present our own investigative journalism piece on a common misconception about spiders, titled Eight, How Many a Year? As an artistic work of fiction and falsehood, the views expressed in this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the broadcasters or the management thereof. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, I am glad you're here. I'm Lydia, Lead Media Disruption Developer Kai Hubris, and this is EurekaCast Now, where we discuss science, but also technology, every single week. With me, as always, is Professor Rowan Meadowlark from the Simon Amy Institute of Spirit Science. Hello there, Rowan. Hello, and skittering, scampering vibrations from the web of education this evening. As, of course, I said earlier, we celebrate Creepy Crawly Week. We celebrate, cre- yeah, we, we certainly do celebrate Creepy Crawly Week in the midst of James Webb's month, uh, James Webb, his month, in the midst of this month that is James Webb's. Why not take a week out to celebrate our Creepy Crawly friends? And, and perhaps a different type of web. I couldn't say it better, uh, any better myself, Rowan. Now, Rowan, I was looking over some algorithms this week, as I normally do. Um, this week, I was looking over specifically uh, an algorithm that uh, one of our unpaid interns threw together, um, sort of like a, a side project that they wanted me to look at, something about uh, linking face shape to penis size, you know. Incredible. St- standard standard stuff like that. Normal things that go on in uh, Tech Brothers, presumably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this is yeah. This is on the on the on the on the most more normal end, uh, certainly. Um, so I was doing a little test run, and you know, plugged it in, put it into my uh, one of our compilers. I you know pressed pressed to execute, and well, what do you know? Big red letters on my screen. Bug detected. Interesting. Obviously, this is an unpaid intern. There's going to be bugs, despite what I, despite my best efforts. These sorts of things happen. But what it got me thinking was, you know, I've seen thousands, thousands of these errors, uh, millions perhaps throughout my entire career. Why are they called bugs? And that was then. That was sort of the starting point for for what we decided on this uh, this evening. Is that what you're saying? That is exactly what I'm saying. And in fact. You know, from that, I, I started to do my own research because sometimes, you know, in this industry as a lead media disruption developer, you have to do some of your own research into things. And sometimes you're not going to like what you find, but you got to do the research. That's as a citizen scientist myself and as a lead media dis- disruption developer, this is the kind of stuff that I have to do. So I did some research. I contacted our friends over at the Chicago Botanic Gardens, the people that I thought would be the most likely to know about bugs. And it didn't occur to you to just um, look this up on the internet? You know, I need to make sure you – know, the internet has a – as a lead media disruption developer, the internet – Someone intimately familiar with the internet. Yeah, it, there's a lot of there, – you know, there's a lot of different things on the internet that you just – you got to be safe. I wanted to make sure I was getting the best information possible. 
fair enough, fair enough. So I reached out to our friends over at the Chicago Botanic Gardens. I asked them, you know, this question, why do you think they call, they call them bugs? In fact, Roan, actually, this is a good question for you. Why do you think these are called bugs? I, well, if I had to offer my own, and I'm not an anthropologist, I'm not a linguist, mm-hmm. but I would have to say that it is um, unfair uh, prejudice put upon um, the creepy crawling things of the mm. world, which is part of the reason I was so excited to talk about this because, you know, I love insects. As a young mm. man, I would go out and about catching bugs and, and putting them in jars mm-hmm. and looking at them and, you know, putting them in frames down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I <clears throat> I'm not trying to say that I was spending my time outdoors and engaging with nature with actual bugs and not a bug as a Zoomer might know it as or a, a programmer such as yourself. Sure. Um, I'm, I was working with, uh, you know, nature. Oh, you you were working with nature. This is what you are saying? Yes. Interesting. Well, you know, want to know what our friends at the Chicago Botanic Gardens said? Uh, what did they say? They said they did not have the slightest idea why they were called bugs. But... I- but they did talk to me uh, a little bit about bugs, the insects, sort of what you're describing right now. The um, glory of nature. As a field, yeah. There's, it's actually a large field. There's a lot of bugs. Rowan, there's a lot of bugs out there. Um, and I became incredibly intrigued by the kind of stuff that they, uh, that they were telling me. Bugs are not just these awful, annoying things that interns drag into the lab, both the physical bugs and also the, the code bugs that they drag into the lab every single day. No, bugs. they're not. They're not. They're, they're beautiful. Not just that, they're no. beautiful parts of nature and the machinations thereof. And they're and they're inc- and they're epic and fascinating. Exactly. I couldn't agree with you more. Take the uh, Panorpa communis, or the scorpion fly. I'm gonna pull one up right now. This is the uh, the the Panorpa communis, the scorpion fly. This this is the peak of evolution. This is evolution at work making the best possible creatures from all all possible states this is dr strange looking at all of the realities of bugs and figuring out which one's the one that could beat thanos well i don't believe it's an actual bug because a true bug has a piercing sucking right, mouth part right. this, as... is an, this is an insect yes thank you for for dogging on me like that keeping me honest well, what is it about this particular insect that that fascinates you so much? I mean, it's a very interesting looking specimen, certainly. Sure, it's it's. But, I, I would not mind having that, um, you know, uh, hoisted above my mantelpiece. I mean, but what interests you so ba- uh, well, so so much about it? I mean, it takes all the it, it takes all the all the major parts of all the all the best things from all the different animal groups. You've got the the wings, right? You've got the stinger, sure. You've got the shiny coat. Mm-hmm. I, I can't. Agree with that one. So it's it's putting all these individual things to create a super a super uh, macrofauna, just an an incredible specimen. But even with this epic insectoid, this ep- epsectoid, if you will, there is a blatant min- misconception in society at large about how this bug interacts with people, despite the this fact insect. Despite the fact that it has a razor-sharp and poisonous stinger hmm. that could take down an elephant beetle or an elephant, for that matter, it is the only insect that we know of that is actually a conscientious objector. It will not even attack you in self-defense. Where are you getting this information from? From the Chicago Botanic Garden. Right. And did you verify this online? 
I don't want to trust. Did you did you did you um, enter some of these terms into perhaps a search engine? I and- I I verified this with several different people that I called at the Chicago Botanic Gardens. Several of them agreed with these. This information. Well, uh, we'll continue. Let's just let's just get through this because we have a lot to cover. Yeah, the last thing that that I wanted to say is like it is it is completely harmless. Um, Despite that it is full of poison, it will not it will not attack you. And in fact, among entomologists that study this guy, there's a story that they like to tell, and I would like to tell it right now. A scorpion fly wanted to cross a river, but it couldn't swim. It couldn't fly. No, there's like there's like. Rowan, there's like some reason it couldn't fly. There's like a net there oh, okay. or something. It's, it's, like a, a, noxious it's, it's a fable. Fair enough. It is a fable. Um, yeah. Well, no, I I don't know if it's a fable. It might have happened. I just know that they like to tell this story. Um, so it wanted to get across, but it couldn't. So it asked uh, a, a friendly frog nearby to carry it across. The frog, the frog hesitates for a second, afraid that the scorpion fly might sting it, seeing that deadly, deadly uh, tail on it. But the scorpion fly promises not to, pointing out that if he was to sting it, neither of them would get across. They would both drown. So the frog, being the logical creature that it is, uh, agrees to transport the scorpion across. Puts him on his back. Scorpion fly. Yeah, the scorpion fly. That cannot fly at this moment. Yes. There's a lot. It's... It's a complex – the ecosystems are large and complex organisms. You don't have to tell me that, Kai. I'm <laughs> intimately aware – excuse me. I'm intimately aware of how complex and interconnected the ecosystem is. So the I'm scorpion, a part of it. The scorpion fly – oh, I know you are. Uh, the scorpion fly is on the back of this frog. It's going down the river. It's going down this stream. It's almost – it's halfway. It's halfway across. And Rowan – what do you think happens? Well, um, as you put it, the scorpion fly is a conscientious objector, um, a biological term. So presumably it would not sting the frog and they would make it across. Oh. Well, according to this story, the scorpion fly does sting the frog, but it was a complete accident. And the scorpion fly was very sorry. Okay, thank you very much for that. Um, uh, that's uh, you know what. At the very least, um, we are doing something interesting and uh, and worthwhile. Uh, I think you should uh, look up some of this information you've found on the internet. I've confirmed it with several sources. Right, but it's time to get into our the actual story that we wanted to, to tell tonight, and that is uh, that is an interesting story about another common misconception, another common misconception about how bugs interact with people, or I guess insects or ar- ar- archaeoids. Arachnids. Arachnoids, yeah. Um, how they interact with people. There's lots of different ideas about this. For example, the, the common fable of Spider-Man uh, is a very similar example of, of this, of, of trying to compromise the lives of spiders and the lives of men together. Um, but just like in Spider-Man, there are some pieces of information that don't necessarily – we don't necessarily see when we study this relationship. Right. What I think you're trying to say is that there are a lot of misconceptions out there about the place of so-called creepy crawlies, be they insects, be they arthropods mm-hmm. of other sorts, be they even crabs if you live on the coast. Um, <clears throat> the insects of the sea. Um, there are um, a lot of bad information from 
individuals with regards to uh, what they're doing, what they're up to. It makes them look a lot worse than they actually are. Yeah. And And where this information comes from, a lot of different sources, you know, how – I know as well as anybody how information sort of inflates and influences people at the large scale. And how quickly misinformation can take root. Exactly. Um, So what we want to do tonight is we wanted to focus in on one popular misconception and I think something that makes um, spiders – across the board look bad and yeah. a lot worse than they are. Exactly. And that is that is the sort of question that we pose, um, which you can see on, the, on this first of our slides. And that is eight. How many a year debunking the spider myth? And you'll notice we put myth in quotes. Uh-huh. There is a reason for that because uh-huh. be it a myth or be it not a myth – the data will tell us, but the, not immediately. The data will tell us, yeah, exactly. Not not necessarily immediately. And myth mythology, you know, the clouds and the and like thunderbolts and things like that. There is some, you know, there's lots of different places that these things could come from. It, Zeus or the sky, right? Myths are large and interesting. Um, and this is this is just one of those one of those myths. You know, it's like a theory. Of course, yeah. A myth is like a theory. So, but where the question becomes uh-huh. um, when we start off, when we started looking into this, because you had your little bit of epiphany, and you came to me, and we were talking it over, and we wanted to um, express um, how uh, so much there's so many misconceptions out there. There's so many misconceptions, and we settled on this. And the first question we came to is, where did this myth come from? Mm-hmm. Um, this eight spiders a year. People are yes. eating in their sleep exactly. on average, op- say, supposedly. Say that out front. This is what people are told. This is what is common. The common conception of spiders is that in our sleep, we eat eight spiders a year. Um, and and we've all heard it. And I think the 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 true answer is is that the um, uh, the number itself, that eight that integer, eight. Uh-huh. is kind of like a spider itself. Is, is one? It is very much like a spider itself. But it is also um, we cannot find any specific places where this number comes from. Mm-hmm. But the idea of spiders loving mouths does have a little bit of an interesting history. It's a little bit more more tangible that we can right. grab onto. Right, and we're not talking about myths here. I'm sure there are myths that. I certainly found myths where spiders and uh, mouths and uh, similes and epic poems where these things sort of take place. But we're talking about the actual data. And that is from the 1957 Plum Island study. Yes. Big study, a big study with the the United States military. Um, So how this – so uh, this study has a few very interesting uh, interesting people. Dawson T., Perkins T., August T, some really big scientists and big names, big names. in uh, in 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 Iraq, um, Arachnopho- in, in arachnophobia, yes, in in, 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 uh, in in biology and um, in uh, invertebrate biology. Yeah, it's a study sponsored by the U.S. military for military purposes. The idea was. Um, weaponizing weaponizing creatures. This was the Cold War, of course. Yes. Um, and it utilized uh, a very popular technique um, of the time, which was the Skinner box. Yes, the notorious Skinner box. Um, so if you want a sort of a description of what a Skinner box is, um, it is sort of this box that you put a creature in, typically a mouse, but, you know, you press it, uh, there are buttons inside, there is stimuli inside, and the mouse can either choose to, you know, press a button... Press the one or of two buttons mm-hmm. to to 
get certain things. Right. And in this instance, the question was – or not the question but the spiders replaced an environment where it was a simple question of mouth or cocaine. Yes. The spider could either choose inside this contained box whether it would press the button to get inside of somebody's mouth. Usually a private. Um, yes. Usually somebody yeah, had lower on the line working his way up um, or a little bit of spider cocaine. This is specifically spider cocaine, um, very similar to regular cocaine, but specially designed for eight legs. Of course. Um, and I guess the question becomes – the question is, um, Kai, what did they choose? Well, you'll see right here. They chose the mouth every time. And if you want to see sort of a, a – let's look at this picture too here. <laughs> Gives you an idea of uh, <laughs> the procedure. Um, you can see the sort of spider inside <laughs> inside the Skinner box. Um, but yeah, they always pressed the button to get inside the mouth. It was actually quite stunning. Uh, but that was 1957. Yeah. This was during the Cold War. We have- Some of these army studies are notoriously rather, um, you know, not necessarily the highest quality, highest qual- uh, caliber. Mm-hmm. Um, so ultimately, I thought it would be prudent to go talk to the spider experts, the the, the individuals that are studying spiders, and now, see what their take was on it. Yeah, um, not nineteen fifty seven, but now here yeah. in twenty uh, twenty one when we made in, it in twenty twenty one. Yeah, close to twenty twenty two. Now this is a, this is our first disagreement in my and Rowan's uh, Rowan's thought. I thought this is about sleeping specifically. We should talk to the sleep experts. I said sleep experts. We should go to the sleep experts first. But what did Rowan say? I said that we should reach out to Dr. Carla Amber, uh, arachnology in the, uh, of the Field Museum, who uh, was very kind to uh, answer our questions, um, very um, patient with uh, myself and you, of course, Kai, who um, did make it very obvious you felt it was a waste of time, which was very unprofessional. I but she, ju- was, she was very kind, and she answered our questions. We asked her, mm-hmm. is there um, something unique to spider biology, to um, spider behavior, psychology, psychiatry perhaps, mm-hmm. that would – lead them to be interested in going in people's mouths. Mm-hmm. And what we heard was no. What we heard was no, no, absolutely not. There's no reason that they would. And the argument is that like inside of a mouth, it's I guess it's dark, but and it's small and spiders like to crawl in small things. That might be where the the idea comes from, but I mean ultimately there's not there's nothing in your mouth for that a spider would prefer to like a dark corner. And that may, I mean, that would make sense to me. I thought that made sense. And I thought, Kai, uh, I didn't say, just thought, I said to you, I said, Kai, um, that this story is over. Um, there's, you know, well, yeah, and then, the data's changed. Things I, are different. I, and I said, and I, I questioned Dr. Carla. I said, let me see your credentials. I said, we have important scientists that disagree with you. I said, what about teeth? Is there is there any evidence that spiders like teeth? She said no. I said tongues. She said no. I said what about further down? What about that little dangly thing? Do you think that's enticing? No was the answer the entire time. No. Yes. Um, But I I believe the only word she ever said to me directly was no. (laughs) I wanted to touch. There's a lot of cool things. I mean, I've recently gotten interested in bugs. Right. There's a lot of really cool things to touch in that room. 
And she, it's a museum. I should be allowed to touch those things. Well, the the point is, is that this. I thought this was the dead, a, a dead end. Yeah. I thought the story was over. Um, but I fumed out. You did. And without telling you, I made a. I made a. I set a meeting with us, um, with sleep experts. That's true. Um. Uh, this is Doctor Christina Ager, sleep scientist at Chicago Sleep Center's Sleepy Hollow location in the Sleepy Hollow neighborhood. Uh, famed primarily for its many sleep centers. Yes, for its many sleep centers, and this is the best one of them all. Um, so, and and let me just go to you, Rowan. We walked in there. We met with them. You were a little bit aggravated. I was. I got you out of bed. Um, you were sleeping. That that's that's true. Um, I was also a little. Um, you know, I, I you made me look rather unprofessional in front of a uh, a colleague from the Field Museum, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, we mm-hmm. walked into the sleep center. Um, back into the control room where uh, through the sort of one side one way mirror yeah. we could see the numerous beds of individuals sleeping mm-hmm. and the first thing that shocked me about this was the amount of spider webs that were not just in the chambers yeah. where the individuals who were being tested were sleeping but the control room itself um yeah i i, I... I believe you specifically like you were you were concerned that they weren't taking down their their Halloween decorations, right? And um, it only dawned on me um, as we began speaking with uh, Doctor Ager that uh, th- these were not decorations; these were in fact um, spiders. And and what mm. did she say, Kai? What, because this was your get. I'm not going to take. Um, I'm not going to claim that this was my get. Mm-hmm. This was your get. So so she said that it's it's not something that they typically publish. It's something that is. You know, when when they write a paper over at that sleep center, it's something that is it. They don't need to even need to put it in the procedure because it's already already common knowledge amongst sleep experts that spiders love mouths, and sleep centers have to take a large amount of precautions, including insect nets, including including uh, propellants, including all these different things, entirely containing having no external vents or anything like that into the sleeping room. Um, because spiders will inevitably get in, um, in some cases, and really get into into people's mouths. And it should be noted that Dr. Ager did say that this is something that that only applies to a few um, a few individuals. Not everybody that comes through the sleep center, but a sizable enough amount that they have to take these general precautions. And you can't they can't really tell just by looking at somebody whether they're going to be a, a, a super eater. Um, specifically one patient, patient X. Patient X was somebody that literally could not stop eating spiders. Every single time they went to sleep, a spider would somehow get into the room. In fact, this is something that went on several years where they had this person come in basically every single day, every single, or I should say every single week or month, depending on the time of year, and they would like have them sleep in this enclosed center, adding new precautions, adding new things. It was sort of like a... Uh, a test, um, a, a test in in spider physiology about how spiders would somehow break through with this hell bent purpose just to get into patient X's sleeping mouth. And 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 they did. We saw some footage. Um, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about what they shared with us mm-hmm. later in this. But um, they did were so kind as to show us some footage, and it was hordes and hordes of spiders that would descend on some of these individuals yeah. who the sleep center the sleep scientists had dubbed super eaters yes in the yeah super eaters are people that that 
you know, a lot of would spiders would be drawn to crawling into their mouths in in particular. But it should be noted that like patient X, their first night sleeping there, they might have swallowed twenty five. I believe I I I'm forgetting the number exactly, but it's between twenty five and fifty five spiders just that one night, and then with subsequent. With subsequent visits, they tried again to enclose more and more of the of the space, and they got that number down to five or six. Well, um, and uh, it's it's uh, it's interesting to imagine what would have happened uh, if this was this individual's camping. I could only I I can only imagine horrified. Yes. So what can we say? What can we say? Well, what can we say? Well, so this, let's so, look at the facts. Let's look at the facts. Let's 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 look at these facts right now. So, what have we talked about? The army says that it is occurring, mm-hmm. at least according to this last study that was in 1957. Yeah, they have not done any any more studies after that. Arachnologists generally do not see value; do not believe this to be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, Showing that science science scientists in their ivory field towers sometimes have a spider. Cl- glasses um and the sweep study um the sleep studyists yes the sweep studyists say yes yes um but but this is something this is a bullet point that rowan made me put in there that's um we can rule out infestation we 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 we, um well this is supposed to say we can't actually um no it's a rowan it's a question but can we rule out infestation? Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Um, no, um, no, we can't, unfortunately. I think we can. Well, uh, the question is, is that um, this data that we are about to look at comes from the Sweep Center. I always knew that we could rule out and infestation. And there is precedence for places to have be more spider-rich than others. This could just sure, be an especially spider-heavy location that we're looking at our data. And by my accounts, it was. Of course, I will give back to you. Kai, uh-huh. that whether or not there are spiders being eaten by sweeping people because the spiders are in the sweep center uh-huh. or that spiders are in the sweep center because they're trying to get to sweeping people, mm-hmm. that's unclear. Sort of like a chicken and egg, sort of like a, a catch-22. But 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 we are about at the half point of the show. We are, and we. But were, we're not even halfway through the research. We're here. really not. We're not. We're just getting into the good stuff. So, um, we are going to now shift gears just a teeny weeny bit into what we like to call the mid-show midterm. We always we have we have short breaks typically. 5, 10, 15 minutes, depending on a lot of different factors. And we like to pose a question to the citizen scientists out there, those listening, to make sure that their minds can chew on something. We always love active listeners and active thinkers and active scientists out there. Right. And and despite the fact that it is, in fact, James Webb Month yes. and Creepy Crawly Week. Yes, and Creepy Crawly Week on this Bugs Pose. So we are going to go ahead and um, do um, continue celebrating James Webb Month mm-hmm. with another James Webb Space Telescope question. Yes, we want to celebrate James, the James Webb Space Telescope all month long. And so here's our question. Here's our mid-show midterm for this week. What will be the – so obviously the James Webb is still setting up. It hasn't taken its official first pictures Official first pictures. Official being the key word yeah, there. Um, yet. 
Um, there are still a few more steps before before we can actually start doing that. Um, so the question is, what will be the final final step in the deployment the deployment of the James Webb Space Telescope um, before it actually can start doing that? Here are here are our answers. It's one it's 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 one of these. Number one, the central mirror will unfurl itself and align tangential to the Lagrangian. That's the first one. The second one is a strategic unfolding of the centermost mirror in alignment with the Lagrangian. The third one is the web will interpolate the direction of the Lagrangian and inflate its central mirror accordingly. And the fourth one is, of course, following alignment of the telescope with the Lagrangian, the mirror in the center of the array will uncoil. Um, and we are going to leave you with that to meditate on um, mm-hmm. before uh, for the next uh, seven to ten minutes. Mm-hmm. When we return, we will finish our investigative journalism piece that yes. we've been presenting. I'll let you know our data. And also, also, yes. also maybe a little more. Also, maybe some interesting news from Simon Amy. Ro, so please, so please, Rowan. please, please stay tuned. We will be back. We very don't have shortly. time for this. And we are back. We are back. Welcome back, everybody. And, well, you know the first thing that we do when we come back. Rowan, do you know the first thing that we do when we come back? We finish the mid-show midterm. Excellent. That was your first test. Um, so the mid-show mer- midterm, um, as you recall, Rowan, could you please remind us about what our mid-show midterm is this week? Well, um, so this week... In honor of James Webb Month, uh-huh. um, while we celebrate another sort of web, um, we wanted to do another question on the James Webb Telescope, which is very quickly reaching its final step of readiness. Finally, uh-huh, over the next al- few months, yes, almost ready to start taking pictures officially. Um, <clears throat> and the question was, what will be the final step in the deployment of the? James Webb Space Telescope. What will be the final step before um, mission is go? Everything is ready. So the first option was that the central mirror will unfurl itself and align tangential to the Lagrangian. Mm-hmm. Um, the second possibility was a strategic unfolding of the centermost mirror in alignment with the Lagrangian. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third answer was the web will interpolate the direction of the Lagrangian and inflate its central mirror accordingly. Uh-huh. And your final option, and I, honestly, I think that um, for my idea, I think this is this might be the right one. I'm not trying to like, you know, say... You're not trying to lead the citizen scientist. I'm not trying to. But the fourth option is that following alignment of the telescope with the Lagrangian, the mirror in the center of the ray will uncoil. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, truth be told, I did kind of lead on the citizen scientist a little bit on this. Because the actual answer is Uh is that they're all correct. Those are all things that will be the final step that occurs um, when 
the uh, James right before the James Webb is ready to be uh, um, uh, start snapping photos for us. Exactly, we've gotten some criticism out there that we're trying to with these with these mid show midterms that we're trying to throw one over on you, citizen scientist out there with all these trick questions or you know misleading questions. So you know we just wanted to give you a, a sort of gimme. Call this almost like a mid show extra credit. Yeah, it's a mid show extra credit because no matter whichever one you chose. You got it right. They're the, all correct. You know, the only way that you would have failed this test is by not participating. Uh, by not wondering. Uh-huh. The lack of curiosity is really the real failure. Yeah. Um, I, we can all agree on that. Um, but with um, the uh, Creepy Crawly Week in mind, and very quickly because I know we have some very exciting um, stuff to get to. We in have a some bit. A very exciting stuff that I don't know if we'll have – Time for it, and we're going to be finishing off our our investigative journalism piece uh-huh. eight spite um, eight how many a year uh-huh. where we will debunk the myth myth being in quotes uh-huh. of eight spiders a year being eaten in our sleep on average. But before we do that, before we do that, I realized that in my work here at Eureka Cast now with everything that I've been doing to try and educate people, I sometimes forget that my main purpose in life my main calling is healing uh-huh that is why i am part of simon amy and his universities and, and his studies and, and his and his solutions for wellness this has something to do with uh insect misconceptions well bear Mis- with me insects in conceptions that's true it is it is it is actually about inceptions that. um but let me let me um, build this up a little bit very quickly um the the people are depressed these days. They're anxious. They have um, uh, attention issues. Mm-hmm. This, I certainly do right now. And people wonder why. And um, the but the 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 answer is, the answer is to think. Well, what is different now from back when when anxiety and depression didn't exist. Back in, in the ye olden days, uh-huh. back in our agrarian societies, it can be categorically said that no one was depressed. That is, that is, um, or suffering from ADD. I haven't. There's no evidence the of ADD in the Paleolithic era. And you're the expert in this area. Uh, but, but so uh, the, the, the issue is, uh-huh. and so, or so I have come to the conclusion, and Simon Amy is, is that the reason there's so much going on, the reason that there is so much depression and attention issues, is because there is a lack of stimulation. The human body mm-hmm. is meant to be stimulated at all times. <laughs> is that uh, on, so? On, with eyes, on your skin, looking around uh-huh. you. Um, you know, the sensation of fleas, the hearing of skittering of legs um, across your ceiling, seeing sort of this and that darting around. Mm. Um, the lack of that in our modern workplace, in our modern homes, um, out among our friends, um, that is... In my opinion, and the opinion of Simon Amy, causing a lot of our a lot of issues. Okay, so this isn't this isn't scientific data. This is, in fact, just your opinion. Well, there's data to back this up. Sure. Or more accurately, there is data to back up the effectaciousness of Simon Amy's new and incredible arthropod elixir, your pest friend. And this before is you a say product. anything, before you say anything, <laughs> I have so much to say though. <laughs> before you say anything. Um, it is not a qualitative quality, – it is not qualitative language about a product or a service uh-huh. because new and incredible is in fact part of the title <laughs> of the pro- – of this – not product, not service, it's, but this experimental mm-hmm. solution, this elixir. And el- 
it's not qualitative language, but it is an elixir. It is an, a new and incredible arthropod elixir, uh-huh. colon, your pest friend. That is also part of the title. And so what so this, this elixir uh, does – I feel like we, do, I get the idea. What the elixir does, yes, yeah, you give it a little spritz uh-huh. and it attracts these sort of creeping, crawling – things to you to whoever you sprayed it and by you know there's a lot of applications but i think the one thing that people could do that would they would see the most benefit uh-huh. is spray it around your workplace spray it Without around your house knowing. and you will soon find that there are cre- they're, they're crawling creatures mm-hmm. um all over the place and then that will clear up so many misconceptions at that point because you'll have them right next to you and on top of that you you, you'll feel science. better you'll feel better all right, Rowan, let's move on from can we Rowan, can we move on from this product? Wait, it's not a product. Is it no? It is an experimental treatment. <laughs> it is an experiment. Experiments cannot be products. I see. It works on cockroaches, spiders, houseflies, centipedes, silverfish, and daddy long legs. It is a pheromone Wonderful. that attracts all of these. That's one pheromone that attracts all of them? Yes. I don't Mixed now I don't with organic Haworthia oil. <laughs> It's great for skin. It's great for your skin. It's great for their skin. In case you spray it on yourself. Right. Well, I mean, that is one of the use cases. Spray it on yourself, and you will have all of these creatures attracted to you. Uh Uh-huh. All right. That was the the original purpose. It's great. Look forward to next quarter's Simon Amy Solutions for Wellness newsletter. Not a product. And we will have some very interesting data coming out on locusts as well, use case for mice and locusts. All right, moving on from that not product that is not for sale, um, let's actually finish our piece of science, our investigative report on how many spiders people actually do eat a year. So if you recall from before the break, uh, we read a sort of a, a little bit of a of an argument between Rowan and I about wh- how to proceed specifically whether the data from the sleep study that we visited in Sleepy Hollow would be trusted. Uh, Rowan, of course, arguing that there was a possibility of an inf- infestation. M- me arguing that no, there wasn't. Well, there it's not an issue of a possibility of of an infestation. There was an infestation. The question sure. was. Um, which um, whether it was an, a natural infestation or something that was caused by the fact that there were sleeping people there. Uh, exactly, um, chicken and egg sort of uh, issue. Right. So what we did was we collected the data. We collected the data. Um, so the way that we collected the data again, we had to we had to uh, uh, sort of control our experiment. We took data from sleep centers all over the city of Chicago, not just that one location, um, even locations with low spider rates, uh, LSRs, um, including on the east side. Um, so we decided to conduct a little bit of our own analysis by comparing this data um, with exterminator reports of whether spiders were, you know, natural to that area. And when possible, looking at security tape footage um, as or, or, or not security tape, but research footage, as often many times these um, as mm-hmm. security tape footage, um, as many of these uh, sleep centers do record the uh, subjects as they sleep mm-hmm. for further and studying they down were, the line. They were more than happy to give to give it up to us. So we were super grateful, and and the results were uh, pretty astonishing. Um, they were and, shocking, and, and, and let's I dare let's say. let's start with the first big 
discovery. Let's just look in there. Yeah. Which was the fact that um, looking just at the amount of the people and how many spiders they ate Uh and sort of putting it together. And what we can very clearly see is is that the bulk of individuals are, in fact, only consuming between zero and three spiders a year. Um, Roughly 80 percent, a little Uh more than 80 percent. Yeah, yes, eighty percent of eighty uh, percent of people are eating a normal amount of spiders, but we all consider to be a normal amount of spiders. Zero to three, exactly. Whereas uh, that twenty percent, however, is where where we get in some interesting interesting findings. Three to, um, and and what we really were surprised to see was the roughly four and a half percent of people who are eating ten. Or more spiders a year. Mm-hmm. Some of one percent, one and a half percent of those individuals eating fifty to two hundred fifty spiders a year. Um, and Incredible. With this graph, also there was one individual who self-reported as eating over a thousand spiders a year. Uh-huh. Um, in in sort of based on this footage, but we had questions about that, mm-hmm. um, so we excluded that from this data. Exactly. It's yeah. It's 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 incredible, and obviously there's sort of a a range there you can see with the the smaller half of that pie chart. But it's it's incredible. What we're seeing is that there's a small proportion of people. Just to break this down, there's a small proportion of people who are eating a lot of spiders per year, possibly bringing up that number, that national average. Right, and and we. It, depending on how you want to slice the data, depending on how you wish to um, sort of uh, do your calculations, uh, anywhere between 75 uh-huh. to 87% of all spiders being eaten in their sleep, uh, being eaten, eaten during individual sleep, are occurring in that one and a half. Yeah, and that's and honestly, we should thank them. Think of Think of the, the population, the control that they're doing for spiders. Right. And and um, moving on from that, though, so then we were curious, well, what sort of sleep issues are these individuals having, these uh-huh. super eaters, these ones who are – this 5% of individuals who are eating more than 10 spiders in their sleep a year. Right. Um, and what we saw was um, that roughly a little bit more than half – um, of individuals were of of ten or more spiders a year were suffering from anxiety, mm-hmm. um, a little like thirty five percent depression, insomnia mm-hmm. forty five, and night terrors about twenty percent. Which yeah, you, which you might expect, you know. Not we just wanted to make sure we had the data to back it up. Right, um, and it's kind of tragic. It is really quite tragic mm-hmm. um, that because um, um, I can only imagine. And that, you know, especially if you didn't like the taste of spiders, that this would be quite um, – this could be quite difficult. Yeah. This could make sleeping and, and existing quite, quite difficult. It should also be clear that a lot of this data came from, again, the sleep studies. Um, some of these people uh, – some of the, the, the people that we've taken this data from did not know that they were part of these – in this super eater category. Um, so they just knew that they had anxiety, depression, insomnia, and night terrors and didn't know until they actually saw the data at the end of the study. Um, so it's it's great that they uh, it is great that we can inform that um, to them, and it's possible, you know, citizen scientists out there, if you're experiencing any or all of these, you might be eating ten. You might be eating spiders in your sleep. Yeah, you might be a super eater. Uh-huh. We actually managed to reach out to one of these super eaters yeah. um, for a very quick testimonial. Um, so yeah, so we have a super eater. Where it's anonymous. It's anonymous testimonial. We did not want to um, let anybody else know, so we sort of you know. We, we, we messed up the, the picture a little bit, um, but that's them, um, anonymous testimonial. And let me just read this quote from them. My life has been hounded by spiders. They find me everywhere I go. 
The taste lingers on my lips all my waking hours. Please help me. And we are helping him by telling his story. Yeah, we're helping him by communicating this uh, this interesting piece of in- this interesting piece of of just this fact, this this myth turned fact that we uh, uh, that we didn't know about before this study. So ultimately, the question becomes: uh, Is eight spiders a year an accurate piece of information? Does that actually average out that way? And the yeah. answer is: We still don't know. Yeah, we still don't know. We were just looking at Chicago data. As scientists, we're confident to say that we just don't know. But but there was something very interesting we saw in the data, and we're mm-hmm. still trying to see if this is signal or noise, mm-hmm. one might say. And what we did notice is, is that among people that did um, uh, self-report as eating more than 10 spiders right. a year, um, um, and despite suffering at a higher level of these sweep issues – they reported on average a 20% better quality of life, mm-hmm. 15% better satisfaction in their relationships and marriages, mm-hmm. um, on average one half of a child more than those um, – amongst those who, who had children mm-hmm. versus those who uh, – uh, who other individuals who had mm-hmm. children. And we can't 100% say whether this is a, something that is transferred genetically either. So we don't know if those children are also super eaters. And and strangely enough also, and I find this the most fascinating, mm-hmm. um, on average, a higher net income of 10K, $10,000 roughly. That is, that is a significant number. So we, we should say, just like we don't know the average, this data, a huge, very large R, we can't be 100% sure that what we're seeing is in fact a, a correlation or a causation for that matter. It just seems like a mixed bag. But, I mean, if preliminary reports say anything, I think those super eaters should be hopeful. Um, and that is, uh, that is our special feature this evening. That's our um, uh, investigative uh, journalism piece. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a lot of fun to put together. It was a great, it was a great time. We learned a lot. Um, and I think that uh, maybe we'll do something like this again in the future because it's so nice to be yeah. able to really dig your teeth into mm-hmm. a project. You know what I got? You know what I got? Rob? Really chomp down on a spider, for as a, um, as as the I, case may I, be. I dare say I've got a little bit of a science bug. Oh. <laughs> But um, with that, we are very low on time, so let's move right along to the citizen science. And that is, of course, the part of the show where we discuss research findings and data collected by amateur scientists in the world on the street and posted to social media. Uh-huh. And this is really um, – to be fair, this wasn't discovered by a citizen scientist, but it was brought to my attention by a citizen uh-huh. scientist. And I thought this was fascinating. Yeah. And, and it goes as this. There exists a number called as Graham's number, mm-hmm. which is so big that if you try to grasp that number, the entropy, and that's in quotes, the entropy of our brain will exceed the maximum possible limit it can hold, and your head will collapse into a black hole. Strange, right? I, I dare say it is strange, and it shows a very solid grasp of the concept of entropy. I think it, it – I'd love to see this. I'd love to see – this seems almost like um, sort of like a transcendental meditation uh-huh. aspect. You meditate on this number until the entropy of your brain just turns into a black hole. Yeah. And I think that might be nirvana. And I think it's unfortunate that this – Graham's number is not in thermodynamics books with the close tie to entropy. So um, that's the citizen science.
I would like to close in a quote by uh, by a notable uh, notable person in the uh, in the scientific community. This week, once again, my quote is by a little man named James Webb, mm. and he said this. Uh, of course, James Webb was a uh, the director, the second director of NASA um, during the 1960s, um, and he said this during his time at NASA: "Space is a web, and we're all squirming." Eureka Cast Now is meticulously researched, produced, and presented with the support of Tech Brothers New Media Labs in Chicago, Illinois. We are broadcast every Saturday night, 8 to 9 p.m. CST on WLPNLP 105.5 FM, Lumpen Radio, and simulcast live on twitch.tv slash lumpenradio at that same time. If you'd like to get in contact with us, please follow us at EurekaCast on Twitter and Instagram. And visit our website at eurekacast.org. Rowan? Uh, if you do engage in other forms of social media, please feel free to find us at facebook.com slash eurekacast or send electronic mail to eurekacastnow at gmail.com where you can find, share with us any technological, scientific, or spiritual breakthroughs you've witnessed or participated in. Additionally, if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the program, feel free to reach out at that same email, which is once again eurekacastnow at gmail.com. Dot com. And with that, Chicago, allow us here at Eureka Cast now to dust away one final cobweb of misinformation and send you back to your dark crevasse, slightly moist and enlightened. Like a spider web in the night.